0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Middle East Studies. I'm James Dorsey, the host of this channel. Today we'll be talking to Jörg Matthias Determan on his new book, Space Science and the Arab World: Astronauts, Observatories, and Nationalism in the Middle East. It's a fascinating history of science and space science in the Arab world, and also a prism to, through which to look at a whole range of issues that many people are looking at, including issues such as soft power, scientific development, uh, the relationship between the region and the various uh, external hegemons, as well as issues of autocracy, open society, and of course the impact of religion. Matthias, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, James. I would really like to thank you for all your time, for all your efforts and your services to Middle East studies. And I would also like to give a shout out to Marshall Poe and his team of the New Books Network. It's a fantastic initiative. It's a great honor, actually, for me to appear now for the third time on the New Books Network. My previous two books uh, have also appeared in podcast discussions on the network And I've been assigning podcasts by other people about other books also in my classes. Uh, So I've been a big fan of the New Books Network and it is a great pleasure and privilege to speak to you again.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show and thank you for your gracious words. Um, Maybe we can start off with you giving us a little bit of a background on yourself, your educational development, and how you got to writing in general about the history of science, but particularly about uh, the history of space science in the Arab world.
1: Uh, thank you for this question, James. Uh, but to give our listeners uh, some background of how old I am, uh, I'm 33 now, I was born in 1984, and I grew up with science fiction. Uh, I've was a big fan of star trek the next generation which i watched during the 1990s as well as star trek deep space 9 star trek voyager uh, and of course the star wars movies Uh, so before i was interested in the middle east i was very much interested in space on the final frontier uh, and in science fiction Uh, at the time i didn't really know that there was such a thing as the history of science, however. In addition to my interests in space, I have been interested in politics. Uh, So uh, when I was becoming an adult, I really enjoyed talking about politics. And I finished my high school in 2003. I three. I'm in Vienna, uh, in Austria. And at that time when I was talking about politics, global politics, world politics. The Middle East was really one of the uh, central areas, one of the hottest topics for discussions, just as it probably still is. 2003 was, of course, the year of the American-led invasion of Iraq. It was two years after uh, the September 11th attacks. Uh, So my interest in politics, interest in the Middle East... Uh, but led me to study Arabic studies at the University of Vienna, as well as uh, history. When I was studying history, I also learned that there was such a thing as the history of science. I really enjoyed uh, uh, those history of science, history of technology courses in particular. Uh, but so, that was during my undergraduate years at the University of Vienna between 2003 and 2007. And it took me a little while to find a way to combine these early interests in both the Middle East, in politics, and in space uh, and science. Uh, but, but now, with this third uh, book of mine, I was finally able to com- combine these interests in a project that I'm just really, really interested in and passionate about. Uh, So I'm extremely grateful that I have a job as an academic, uh, as an assistant professor here at Virginia Commonwealth University in Qatar, uh, where I'm based, an opportunity to follow my interests and to write this book on space science and the Arab world
0: well you've certainly done that in a very fascinating way i'm not a history of science stuff nor am i a space buff but i found the book fascinating and very engaging and learned a great deal from it what it strikes me is that there are and you go into that in great length and perhaps you can describe that in greater in greater detail What what it strikes me is that the book is on the one hand indeed Astronomy coming home, if you wish, given the uh, the early contributions of the Muslim world to uh, astronomy and science in general. It's, but it's also very much a, a prism, an unusual prism, at looking at the contemporary Middle East with all its convulsions, and touches on a multitude of issues, including the impact on religion. Uh, the relationship between religion and politics and how that is changing, uh, the way Middle Eastern states try to protect themselves uh, on the international stage, uh, soft power, um, the relationship and how that impacts research of uh, in societies that are less democratic. And I could go on with all kinds of other uh, aspects of it. But I'd like you to sort of uh, delve into it, you also very much uh, focused on sort the relationship with on the one hand the scientists as a national a citizen of the country, and on the other hand as a cosmopolitan
1: Right, uh, thank you very much for this great question, James. Uh, yes, space science is interested in the Middle East uh, because it is connected to a regional past, as well as to a national and global future. Uh, Space science and astronomy are connected to the regional past uh, through this huge heritage of Arabic and Islamic astronomy, the narrative of the golden age of Arabic and Islamic science uh, that is powerful still in people's heads despite historians of science having criticized such generalizing narratives as golden age or the decline that was uh, followed. Uh, so uh, this heritage of Arabic and Islamic science is something that people in the region here in the Middle East value very much. Uh, and uh, And a renaissance of science and a renaissance of Arab and Islamic space sciences in particular is something that people are looking to. Um, I also mentioned that space science in the region, uh, but not just in the region, is connected to the national future. Uh, Space exploration in general and space science are perhaps a field of activity that are perhaps uniquely tied to the future, Uh, right? Uh, I mentioned earlier in our conversation, science fiction, so much science fiction uh, is about space. So if you can appear as a nation, as being a leader in space science, you can also appear as the nation of the future. Uh, And which ruler uh, which politician does not want to be the leader of the country of the future. Uh, towards the end of your question, James, you also mentioned cosmopolitanism. Uh, but that's another uh, concept uh, that I emphasize very much in the book. Uh, but cosmopolitanism means uh, but literally citizenship of the world. A cosmopolitan would be a citizen of the cosmos, a citizen of the world. And uh, space science is perhaps one of the most global sciences that we have. After all, su- space scientists and astronomers everywhere around the globe are looking at the same skies. they uh, the same sky, they're looking at um, the same stars, uh, but roughly. Uh, of course, there's a northern hemisphere and a southern hemisphere with different stars. Uh, but, but roughly, there is just one universe that people are looking at. And of course, space science is big science. A lot of space science is very expensive science. Uh, so very few... N- Uh, nation states have actually the resources to do this kind of science alone. So in order to have an international space station, in order to have uh, a big space satellite, satellite, a lot of nations uh, had to collaborate uh, with people from other countries. and that requires a certain commitment to internationalism and to cosmopolitanism.
0: It, it strikes me when I was reading the book that there's it, that it wasn't clear to me what the balance is. Was on the one hand the um, what you described as basically the cosmopolitanism of space of space research and uh, the uh, the national aspect of it, in other words, uh, rulers who want want to be seen as being cutting-edge in, in, in the future, but also in terms of the, uh, the military and other applications that space research has. And in that context, it also struck me that on the one hand, it's true cosmopolitanism, but on the other hand, given the religious resistance that has always existed, particularly to space sciences, that it was also often the only way that scientists for whom it often was about the quest of knowledge more than anything else, was the only way that Arab scientists could stay engaged.
1: Very good. I have a question, a very complex question here that you're asking me. Uh, Nationalism, regionalism, cosmopolitanism, I argue, all play a role in space exploration in the Arab world. Nationalism is important in trying to convince politicians to Invest the huge amounts of money that space telescopes, big observatories, uh, space shuttles, satellites, etc., often require. Um, So, why would a politician invest millions and billions of dollars uh, into uh, an activity like space science, especially? Uh, an activity that might not, um, like other science for sciences, for instance, promise a cure for cancer, uh, let's say. Uh, in order uh, for, sci- for politicians to make those kinds of investments, uh, they have to be convinced of the national importance of space science, so of the importance of a given space project for national security, for national growth, for the national economy. And indeed, a lot of of space science has national security implications. A satellite with a camera can be used to study the stars, but can also be used to turn on Earth and serve as a spy satellite. A rocket can be used to launch a satellite into orbit but it can also be used uh, to hit uh, an enemy country. Uh, So a lot of space science has these dual uses of uh, civilian and military uses. Uh, And that is why many space programs have uh, have been very appealing to politicians. And that's also why some rocket programs or missile programs such as the Iraqi one during the 1980s and 1990s or the Iranian one during the 2000s and 2010s have been controversial. However, even if a country wants to invest in space science uh, for national purposes, for purposes of strengthening Uh, national security and national capabilities. Hardly any nation can do space science by itself. Uh, And historians of science have, for instance, shown how much the American space program and the Soviet space program in the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s uh, benefited from transnational expertise. For instance, from German scientists and engineers involved in the V2 rocket program during World War II. Famously, the Werner von Braun went from Nazi Germany uh, to help develop NASA rockets uh, in the 1950s and 1960s. So if Cold War superpowers couldn't... Develop space science just by themselves. Developing countries, uh, of the size of many Arab countries, can't do it either. Uh, so, in order to launch a satellite into orbit, Arab countries have relied on uh, launch vehicles from other countries, such as European rockets or an American space uh, shuttle, or. Uh, Russian rockets and um, um, Japanese rockets more recently. Yeah um, I think James, sorry, I think James, you had another question related to religion that I didn't quite answer here.
0: Well let me, let me come back to that in, 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 in a different context, and that is you spoke about uh, the incentive for a national leader, a national politician to engage in the kind of expenditure and effort that space research takes. Um, It strikes me some ways, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I I think that to some degree, you also argue that in your book, that uh, in some ways the Arab world is a little bit different from other countries. So with other words, you have, for example, in the Gulf, very wealthy nations, who have long been regarded as primarily tribal, um, backward, um, and to varying degrees, have uh, over the years uh, attempted to, and success, some more successful than others to change that perception. So I don't think that perception today is uh, one of the United Arab Emirates. I think the perception of Saudi Arabia is one that is changing where people feel that it may succeed, but the jury is out. And so, in that context, and, and, part, and part of the perception of these countries has been, first and foremost, of course, in Saudi Arabia, the role and the power of the religious establishment, which was very critical of things like uh, space science, and as opposed to the non Muslim world, also much more powerful. Uh, and so the question is whether there the uh, uh, the aspect of wanting to project being cutting edge is actually a much more urgent and much more immediate need than it would be for maybe other developing countries or other countries that uh, that have yet to develop a space research program and other things that will project them on the international uh, uh, on the international map.
1: Very good question, uh, James. Yes, uh, indeed, space programs have not only been about national power, about national uh, growth, national security. They have also been about soft power. They have been about legitimacy and about prestige. Uh, So uh, countries across the Arab world have wanted to be seen as countries of of the future. Already going back to the 1950s and 1960s, uh, countries uh, with governments that saw themselves as progressive, such as Gamal Abdel Nasser's government in Egypt at the time, were trying to be leaders of the Arab world and of the third world world Uh, more broadly, and technological leadership uh, could give uh, a country such as Gamal Abdel Nasser's Egypt uh, the appearance of also being uh, a leading country to look out for. Uh, Now, uh, you mentioned the Arab Gulf countries in particular. Uh, These Arab Gulf countries had historically... To struggle with a lot of stereotypes, stereotypes of being just desert countries, of being Bedouin places, of being backward and uneducated and unsophisticated uh, places compared to the older centres of learning in the Arab world, such as uh, Cairo, such as uh, uh, such as Damascus, Aleppo, Baghdad, uh, and so on. Um, so science. And space science in particular has also been a means uh, for the Gulf countries uh, but to no longer be seen as these backward uh, countries, but to be seen as indeed countries of the future. And if you go especially to places like Dubai, you really see a lot of investment in that kind of image. Uh, Dubai has a museum of the future even, uh, but Dubai has... Uh, but As many of our listeners know, the uh, highest, tallest building on earth, the Burj Khalifa, uh, but which also appears in many recent science fiction films, such as Independence Day Resurgence. Now, to get back to the religious aspect, uh, Gulf countries have not only relied on science as a source of legitimacy, as a sort of technology, <laughs> technocratic source of legitimacy. At the same time, in particular, Saudi Arabia has also uh, uh, very much focused on its religious legitimacy. Saudi Arabia is, after all, the country of the two holy mosques, uh, the mosques of Mecca and Medina. Uh, And uh, the House of Saud, the royal family of Saudi Arabia, has seen itself as leaders uh, of an important Islamic reform movement, the movement that was started by Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abd al-Wahhab in the 18th century. Uh, so Saudi Arabia, uh, throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century, has supported... Uh, Wahhabi movements, Salafi movements, and generally a a very conservative Sunni current in the Arab and Muslim world and throughout the globe. The problem here, of course, is that the traditional Islamic view of the cosmos was a view that was pre-Copernican, largely. So that was a view that was before Nicolaus Copernicus and his revolution in our understanding of the world. Uh, so the traditional Islamic view of the cosmos was geocentric, was a view that the earth is, is in the center of the universe and then you would have various other heavenly bodies rotating around Uh, the Earth. Uh, So the sun was rotating around the Earth. The other planets uh, were rotating around the Earth. And at the furthest edge, you would find God's throne. In Arabic, Al-Arsh. And Al-Arsh is also mentioned in the Quran. Uh, So uh, traditionally, Saudi Arabia has supported this kind of view that the Earth was at the center of the universe, that the Earth was fixed, and that uh, uh, the other planets and the sun rotate around the Earth. And that is, of course, very much at odds with the modern view of the universe, uh, in which the sun is at the center of our solar system, and our solar system is just one of many, many solar systems in our galaxy and one of and our galaxy is only one galaxy out of many, many galaxies. Um, So here you can see a tension between, on the one hand, the traditional Islamic worldview that Saudi Arabia has been promoting and Saudi Arabia's desire to gain a technocratic, a scientific, a modern, a technological legitimacy in the world.
0: It strikes me that you know, you talked a great deal about the the religious influence, uh, and religion is, of course, a major determinant of culture. And the question arises whether, in some ways, the Arab world, and particularly uh, Saudi Arabia, but other also other parts of the Arab world, have uh, the in order to really be able to be scientifically successful, and particularly in the space sciences, whether there is not a fundamental uh, shift in mentality in approach needed. So, with other words, if you take Israel, which is a Middle Eastern state but not a uh, an Arab state, uh, Israel is a state that is on the cutting edge of technology. It's a state where learning and studying and research are embedded in. The culture that of, of, in a Jewish culture that precedes the state of Israel, whereas the culture of of the Arab world and maybe broader of the Muslim world was not one that was so focused on uh, independent learning, uh, on, on 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 critical questioning, but had much more an element of rote learning. And to what degree does that? So with, the question is. What does that mean in terms of creating the kind of basis and the kind of approach that you need to, uh, to develop science to engage in space research?
1: Thank you uh, for this question, James. Yes, uh, but the Arab world uh, but is facing huge challenges. And here we're not just talking about uh, but the poorer Arab countries or the conflict Arab, c- conflict-ridden conflict Arab countries. So I'm, I'm not just talking about countries such as Libya, such as Yemen, such as uh, Syria, uh, such as Iraq, that have huge problems at the moment, huge challenges relating to civil wars, uh, international wars, etc., Also, the richer Arab countries, the Gulf monarchies in particular, have big challenges and big ambitions. And one of the big challenges and ambitions of these Arab Gulf countries is to get away from an oil-based or oil-driven economy, getting closer towards a knowledge economy or a knowledge-based economy. Uh, countries such as Qatar or Saudi Arabia or the United Arab Emirates in their national visions are trying to get to an economy uh, where these countries are able to sell knowledge, so sell patents, sell drugs, sell high technology, um, and not just raw materials such as oil and gas. These countries also hope that these new high-tech industries would be able to absorb many educated but underemployed or underemployed young Arabs in the region. Uh, so a tech industry, a high-tech industry, a science industry is something that Arab leaders have been coveting. Uh, you are right, however, that uh, this uh, this perhaps requires a revolution in many different ways, uh, in different spheres. Uh, that uh, you mentioned rote learning. Uh, indeed, uh, more student-centered, more active learning uh, parts of education uh, should be pushed. I should also mention here that perhaps science fiction as a sphere of cultural activity that has been growing in the Arab world uh, should probably also receive more support. Uh, So whereas in the United Kingdom and in the United States, we have major science fiction awards uh, by the names of Hugo and Nebula, uh, such awards don't yet exist for Middle Eastern literature. Uh, So we need probably more programs like that that could encourage and stimulate Arab creativity. You mentioned Israel. Uh, Israel has a very sophisticated military-industrial-scientific complex. So a complex where Israeli defense manufacturers are collaborating with academic institutions, such as state universities, are collaborating with state funding bodies. And in order to have a sophisticated space industry, probably a similar connection between industry, between the state, and between universities and research institutes would need to be established in the Arab world. Uh, oil all producing countries in the Arab world have often relied on so-called turnkey projects. So a project where uh, an Arab country would commission, uh, uh, let's say, a telescope, and this telescope would then be delivered by a Western company. Or Arab countries have imported a lot of weapons, Um, missile defense systems, um, airplanes, uh, and so on. And these uh, these kinds of weapons and equipment would often be manufactured outside of the region and then shipped, almost ready to be used in the region. And I think if Arab countries are serious about uh, building a space industry in their own countries, Uh, but they would also need to grow uh, space high-tech manufacturing businesses. So rather than just buying Chinese or Russian or European or American rockets and missiles, Arab countries would probably need to find ways to manufacture this kind of high-tech equipment in the region, uh, just like Israel has done to a certain extent. Um, I mean, you're seeing some
0: degree of moves towards building a domestic uh, knowledge base of domestic uh, production base, of achieving degrees of self-sufficiency in various sectors, particularly with regard to uh, uh, military acquisitions. So a lot more offset uh, arrangements, Uh, the Chinese building a uh, drone factory in in Saudi Arabia, as you were doing research on your book, uh, do you see any of that starting to happen in the space uh, uh, in the space environment?
1: Right, aber, so in the scientific arena in general, there have been est- have been attempts aber, aber, to establish science and technology parks. Aber, So, institutions that could serve as interface between industry, national funding bodies, and academia. And, for instance, Qatar has the Qatar Science and Technology Park uh, funded by Qatar Foundation, an institution that links different universities in Qatar with the private sector, with funding bodies like the Qatar National Research Fund. Uh, We've also seen in Saudi Arabia over the decades of uh, institutions uh, uh, that have been trying to, uh, to be an interface between these different sectors. Uh, so, Qatar, uh, so um, sorry, pardon, pardon me. Uh, Saudi Arabia is currently in the process of building NEOM, a high tech city, but there have been previous high tech cities such as Jubail and Yanbur, or such as the King Abdulaziz city for science and technology uh, in Saudi Arabia that has been active since around 1980. However, in terms of space science in particular, perhaps the most ambitious country or one of the most ambitious countries in the world has been the United Arab Emirates. Um, the United Arab Emirates has made important investments uh, in the global private space industry, in particular in the company of Virgin Galactic of Richard Branson. The United Arab Emirates has also been very active in a number of ambitious projects related to Mars, in particular, these Emirates Mars mission that is supposed to. We launched in 2020, coinciding with the Dubai Expo. An orbiter that is supposed to study the Martian atmosphere is supposed to reach that planet in 2021, coinciding with the 50th anniversary of the United Arab Emirates. Uh, and this project is not just a turnkey project. This is not just um, a project of buying... A f- a foreign satellite and launching it from a foreign, uh, from a foreign rocket. Uh, this project seeks to include Arab, and in particular, Emirati scientists and engineers as much as possible. Obviously, the United Arab Emirates is not able to do that just by itself. Uh, so the UAE has relied extensively on collaborations with. South Korea, with uh, Japan, and with the United States of America. However, capacity building in Dubai and in Abu Dhabi, in the UAE Space Agency, and in the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center, um, an institution in Dubai, uh, has been central to the Emirati mass exploration efforts.
0: I mean, mean, you know this as an academic, as a scholar, as a researcher. Uh, A lot of research is very focused, but a lot of research is also very creative, and you don't know where it's going to take you, ultimately. Um, You know, you're dealing, particularly again in the Gulf, with regimes whose raison d'être is their survival. And... Part of their survival strategy is indeed uh, economic reform, social reform, and taking their countries into the 21st century, something that the UAE certainly has done on, on many levels. On the other hand, it, what, it's, I get the impression that there's also a very utilitarian approach to scientific and particularly uh, space uh uh, scientific development, in that it's it, 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 it's designed not simply to produce knowledge, but it's designed to to, uh, to serve the purpose that the regimes need, whether that's military, whether that's uh, civilian applications, whether that's economic applications.
1: This would be true also for other Arab countries. Sorry, not just for... Arab countries but for countries around the world so the initial investments in space and rocket science in particular during the early Cold War by the United States for instance and by the Soviet Union were connected to building intercontinental ballistic missiles for instance so Utilitarian uh, purposes have been part of space programs uh, throughout the world. Um, This is nothing special. Um, So science has hardly been ever perhaps been produced just for pure knowledge's sake, right? Even when funding bodies in Europe or in North America decide to fund one particular project over another project, uh, they're not just looking at the pure knowledge outcomes in many cases, uh, but, but also in for instance, the economic pros sorry, in the economic promises of a specific research effort, or funding bodies would look at the benefits to national security of a specific funding application and so on. Abba, you are right that perhaps Arab countries have not done enough to, to support creativity for its own sake and knowledge for its own sake. However, I'm actually more positive than that, and I can, um, I can see many, many other uh, successful initiatives to invest, for instance, in the arts and in the creative fields. Uh, in Qatar, where I live, uh, the government has made uh, significant investments in art museums, for instance. Uh, I would also say that creativity does not always require a democracy. And you can have within certain constraints, obviously, free thinking, even in authoritarian countries. And for instance, we've seen a lot of art that has come out of the Syrian revolution since 2011. I should also say that the Soviet Union was not a democracy. At the same time, the Soviet Union did Contribute hugely to space exploration, to our knowledge of the moon, to our knowledge of the universe, and there have been very, very important and influential Soviet science fiction authors. Um, So, even if Arab countries have not, perhaps not done enough to uh, promote free thinking, to promote creativity for its own sake, and promote knowledge production for its own sake, aber these activities have still happened, aber even in countries like Syria, that have been very repre- repressive.
0: It's uh, One of the things that, that strikes me is that you've, you've seen over the last decade, perhaps most in the UAE, and um, Post-2011, the era of revolts, a huge spike, again, more in the Gulf than elsewhere, uh, of investment in space sciences. The recent uh, billion-dollar investment that the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman made into Richard Branson's uh, various uh, uh, space enterprises, with an option to invest another uh, 500, almost $500 million Uh, Possibly, Uh, And the question there is whether or not that's also related to, uh, and what your research showed on this, um, whether that's also not related to changing attitudes. So with other words, uh, certainly up until the era of uh, Barack Obama in the United States, uh, the fundamental defense and security premise in, in the Gulf was the protection by a hegemon the hegemon being the United States. And with the rise of Obama, uh, his lack or less interest, or seeing less national interest, US national interest in the Middle East is um, focused or wanting to focus much more on Asia than on the Middle East. And therefore the Gulf States becoming more assertive uh, in in their policies whether that is part of the explanation why now, in the last uh, years, space science has taken on such a greater importance.
1: That's a very good uh, interpretation. Um, space industry, the high-tech sector more broadly uh, promises to provide jobs for uh, young people uh, in the Arab world and of course with rising population numbers this has become a more urgent need uh, however you're absolutely right that Gulf Arab countries can no longer rely on outsourcing their national security um, we certainly now live in a multipolar world, uh, where the United States of America is still extremely powerful with military bases around the world, uh, but, but, uh, but where we've also seen the rise of China, certainly uh, but, uh, over the last decades. In the Middle East in particular, uh, but we've also perhaps seen a comeback uh, of Russia, uh, but that Russia is still... Uh, or perhaps, again, a very, very important actor uh, with big stakes in Syria uh, in particular. Um, And uh, in some ways, it has seemed that Russia has been actually a more skilled diplomatic actor uh, in the Middle East. So whereas uh, the United States, for instance, uh, would not officially talk uh, with certain parties, uh, perhaps the Syrian regime, uh, perhaps members of the... Uh, Iranian government uh, uh, and so on Russia has been quite successful at talking with a variety of actors with talking talking with the Assad government with Erdogan's government in Turkey uh, with Qatar with Saudi Arabia with Iran and so on uh, so uh, there is a multipolarity even in the Middle East uh, and other countries such as the United Arab Emirates can't just hope that by just relying solely on one superpower like the United States, all of their uh, main problems would be solved. Uh, so I think um, developing uh, a domestic military industrial complex, developing uh, domestic manufacturing industry, including an arms manufacturing industry, about developing local satellites, satellites that could be used for space exploration, uh, but satellites that can also be used for remote sensing or looking at Earth from space, monitoring things and activities on the ground from above. All of these projects to develop... Um, a high-tech field, a space industries field, uh, I think has been in part connected to the feeling that uh, the United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia has to do more uh, to guarantee its survival uh, than just to cultivate a good relationship with the White House. I want to
0: touch on an aspect that we've implicitly touched on a little bit, but not really explicitly. And that is, in a sense, the relationship of science, including space science, and identity. So, for the longest period of time in the Arab world, uh, nationalism, uh, regional identities, but also religious identity, were the main pillars of identity. And the question is, as you go towards a knowledge-based society, a cutting-edge 21st century society as your goal, to what degree science is becoming or should become part of that national identity or national ethos, if you wish?
1: I think, um, so the question, uh, James, was about to what extent national identity should become part of a national ethos.
0: No, the question was, basically, as you move from societies. In which uh, nationalism, various other ethnic uh, or sub ethnic uh, identities, and religion are the main components of identity. That as you move towards societies that are much more geared towards knowledge, much more geared towards the cutting edge in a fast changing world, where the notion of science, uh, of space research, of all of the, those things that go with it, needs to become part of that national identity.
1: Um, absolutely. And I think it is actually inevitable. Space plays an ever important role in uh, not just the lives of elites, uh, but also the lives of common people. Um, satellite television is ubiquitous. Our uh, satellites, uh, through, for instance, the Global Positioning System or GPS, plays a huge role, uh, for instance, in people's uh, use of mobile phones uh, and other kinds of devices. Uh, The use of Uber, for instance, is very important uh, in countries like Qatar uh, because the public transport system um, is not yet as developed as in major metropolises of Europe or in North America. Saudi Arabia has even invested significant amounts of money in Uber. Uh, So uh, through mobile apps that rely on uh, uh, GPS, satellites, again, uh, play a very important role in people's lives. Obviously, observing Earth from space is very important for addressing major challenges of the world, such as uh, global climate change uh, so space is becoming ever more important it seems science fiction as an area is uh, uh, becoming hugely important not just perhaps uh, but in the country where modern science fiction originated um, especially uh, western europe um, europe in general and north america but we see of uh, science fiction on the rise, for instance, in China, uh, where we also see more and more science fiction about authors in the Arab world. Uh, so I think with space becoming more and more important in the imagination of people, as well as in actual lives of people, uh, I feel it is inevitable that space Space activity, space exploration, um, will be connected to national identity, national ethos, etc.
0: I'm afraid that we're slowly getting to the end of this interview. But before we 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 conclude, uh, where does this project take you from here, and what do you do next?
1: I already mentioned about quite a lot actually in our conversation science fiction. Uh, so, my next book project is having the title, working title, Islam and Extraterrestrial Life, Astrobiology and Science Fiction in the Muslim World. Uh, so, I'm interested in how Muslims have imagined life. Elsewhere in the universe, the ultimate other, if you will. So I'm studying Muslim astronomers, how they've thought about life elsewhere in the universe. I'm studying also more traditionally educated Islamic scholars, what they say about the connection between Islam and extraterrestrial life. There are various. Um, questions that are actually quite interesting to look at. For instance, what would Islam on another planet look like? How do you fast on another planet? Do you fast according to sunrise and sunset on that planet or to our planet? Um, If you have a human colony on Mars uh, or in another solar system or um, in another galaxy, would they still have to do the pilgrimage to Mecca, for instance, uh, as part of their duties? Uh, then, of course, there are uh, questions like if God um, and if you believe that God created uh, rational, intelligent beings uh, on other planets, do you then also believe that God would have sent a divine message of revela- revelation to uh, to those planets? Uh, but does that mean perhaps... Uh, if you believe that uh, a divine revelation uh, came to Muhammad here on this planet, that there would be a similar Muhammad-like figure on other planets. So I'm looking at traditionally Islamic scholars and how they have dealt with those questions. And I'm also interested in um, science fiction authors in in science fiction filmmakers across the Muslim world I'm very, very fortunate in that I have some student research assistants uh, with excellent language skills that I don't have. So I have a student assistant who, uh, for instance, analyzes Turkish science fiction movies for me. I have another student assistant who reads Bengali uh, science fiction novels. uh, And I have another student's assistant who works on Urdu uh, material. Uh, So I'm really... Uh, delving into the strangest, weirdest uh, fantasies uh, that Muslims have had over the last uh, 100, 200 years. uh, So imaginations of life of all kinds uh, in this solar system and another solar system. Uh, Perhaps you can hear from my voice that I'm quite passionate about this project and it is really a lot of fun. Uh, I'm uh, studying uh, this material that is relatively unknown, uh, but I should say, outside their respective countries. Uh, so, whereas we know a lot of Egyptian literature in general, right? Many people are aware, for instance, of the Egyptian Nobel Prize winner Nagib Mahfouz. Uh, This knowledge of Egyptian literature is often more confined to elite literature, to social realism in particular, and very little Arabic science fiction or Urdu science fiction or Turkish science fiction or Persian science fiction uh, has been translated into other languages or rarely has, let's say, a Turkish uh, science fiction author or an Egyptian science fiction author been discussed in academic departments of literature at Western universities. I feel that there's a big gap of uh, of knowledge on that area. I'm not the only person, obviously, who is working on, let's say, Arabic science fiction. Fortunately, there has been increasing interest um, also among other academics. Uh, However, uh, whereas we do have, for instance, books about the history of the extraterrestrial life debate in the West, uh, we don't really have one yet about uh, the history of the extraterrestrial life debate and all the imaginations that come with it in the Muslim world. Uh, So that's uh, uh, my current project after space science and the Arab world is out now.
0: Absolutely fascinating. One last question. Does that take you into different uh, concepts of life after death? Obviously, Islam has a very different concept of what life after death is. In fact, that's what uh, uh, Muslims in theory strive for, as opposed to other Abrahamic religions.
1: Very good question. One imagination, well, that is actually shared um, in the Muslim world with other Abrahamic religion is, of course, the notion of paradise, um, that one would enter uh, this beautiful utopian space. Uh, and of course, a lot of science fiction has dealt with either utopias or dystopias. Uh, so ideal societies are a paradise-like societies or the opposite on different planets or uh, far into the future. Um, I'm also uh, thinking that perhaps science fiction has allowed uh, Arab authors, Muslim authors, authors perhaps in general who have lived with censorship to express perhaps criticism of our conditions in their own societies by situating notions of an ideal society in their mind into, in the future or by situating such notions of a paradise-like society on other planets.
0: I'm afraid that all that's left to me, this was a fascinating discussion from which I learned a lot and hopefully our listeners will learn a lot, But all that's left to me is to thank you for being so generous with your time and say goodbye and best of luck.
1: I would like to thank you as well. I should say that I'm not just a big fan of the uh, New Books Network, but also I've been a great follower of your own Middle East soccer blog and uh, related research. So it has been a real privilege and pleasure to talk with you, James. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Matthias.